Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Tonight's title of message as we continue in our verse-by-verse study of Philippians is An Upstanding Citizen of Heaven. An Upstanding Citizen of Heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we do want to come before you and ask that as we study your word, that it would speak directly to our hearts and change our lives. For Lord, in each one of us, you are working out something wonderful. You make all things beautiful in its time. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight as we learn your word, glory to glory, precept upon precept, line upon line, faith to faith, and strength to strength, that we would grow thereby. Give us the grace that we need, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let me give us a little brief review before we head into Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be picking it up there in verse 19. Paul has made something very clear to this church from the very inception of this letter. He was confident that Jesus was going to complete the work that he started in them. He started in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, Jesus is working on you. Every single one of you are a construction project. Coming tonight is an opportunity to build on that construction as the word of God edifies and equips you for the work of the ministry. Now, this was a very inspirational and loving way for Paul to begin his letter. You see, this church was very beloved by Paul, as we've studied. But this church, as we're going to learn in Philippians chapter 4, they've got an issue, an argument, a dispute between two women. Now, I've said before, wherever you have a human being, you are going to have a problem. Even a human being by, its, by himself or herself is going to have a problem. At another one, let's call it marriage, you will have a problem. That's why I'm so grateful for becoming one and the redemption that Jesus Christ gives us. All married people say, Amen. Amen. For those of you who didn't say it, like I said on Sunday or last week, uh, you can call the office. We'll set up a counseling. But you know, if you're married, it's important to deal with issues. That's why Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you don't deal with issues, you're going to cause division. But if you choose to deal with issues, you're actually going to prevent division. But it's not just important to deal with issues. It's also important the way we deal with them. Did you hear that? Turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. Jesus gives us a way 
to deal with the problems of people. Matthew chapter 18, you've heard this many times before. Maybe you've even put it into practice. I would encourage you to do so because there's a reason that Jesus gave us these precepts. He knew that there would be problems with people. So he gave us a way to help solve those problems. Look at Matthew 18, verse 50. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have, and this is important, gained your brother. But if he won't hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, stop there, if you would, for just a moment, because I know some of you want to get straight to the third principle, to treat them like an unbeliever if they don't agree with you or you don't resolve. But if you remember how Jesus treated unbelievers, he loved them, and he cared for them. He pursued them. And I think there's a tendency in the church when we say, treat them like an unbeliever if there can't be resolution. Well, we're going to stand up and turn our back and make them walk down the aisle like the Puritans used to or the Quakers in the early part of our American history. That's not at all the way of the Lord. And we have to look at how he treated unbelievers. But he said, the purpose of going to your brother or your sister is to gain them. He says that every word may be established. If you go in private and they don't hear you, then bring someone with you so that every word can be established. In other words, that you will develop a mutual understanding, that you can listen to each other and purpose to gain their perspective, to gain some understanding. And here's the goal. The goal is not separation. The goal is gaining its resolution. Winning over your friend through communication. Paul knew that Jesus taught this. And what Paul is doing in chapters 1 and chapters 2 and chapter 3 is he is prepping them to understand the way to walk and fulfill Matthew 18 so that these two women can be gained, so that they can gain understanding, so that they can gain relationship. Paul reminds them about this important aspect of relationship. If you look in Philippians, go back with me. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We'll pick it up there in verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, not only is Paul confident that God's going to do a good work if they do it God's way, Paul reminds them there's a fellowship in the gospel that exists in the church. Now, let me describe this word fellowship. It means communion, connection, communication amongst believers that only believers get, only believers understand. Like you go out into the world and you say, oh, uh, have you heard the story of Jonah? He got swallowed by a big fish. They laugh at you. They laugh at you. If you go out and say, hey, (laughs) three guys, they were thrown into a fire. They go, are you serious? You believe that stuff? But when you say that to a Christian, they respond and go, Wow, the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the repentance of Jonah. Like, there's something about it that we get. I understand this. When we were missionaries in Liberia, you know, we're from a different culture, and the Liberians were from a different culture. And they didn't understand peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Now, I don't know if you hold PB&Js to be sacred, but they are sacred. And as a Bahamian, my favorite snack is Ritz crackers. 
not the whole wheat, the real Ritz, full of fat Ritz crackers with peanut butter, crunchy peanut butter, and strawberry preserved jam. That is like the Bahamian treat. Amen. The Bahamian treat of treats. But when you talk to an African in West Africa about PB&Js, they just don't get it. But when missionaries would come over from the United States of America, we would always land on PB&Js. And we would talk about PB&Js as if they were sacred and if they were holy, because you couldn't get peanut butter. You couldn't get strawberry preserves. And you could actually see our mouths salivating over PB&Js. And then when we talked about Ritz crackers, they didn't have Ritz crackers in Africa. They had some crackers from Europe that I had no idea what the name of it was, but they weren't filled with butter and salt and just not good for you like Ritz. Some of you are like, amen, brother. I understand. You get it. That's the kind of fellowship we're talking about. When you have the same culture, you have the same context. We, as citizens of heaven, we've got that. It's kind of like Patmos, our school of discipleship. Um, Patmos, it's, incre- it's when Patmos students get together. Now, there's been over 400 of them, and over 80% of them are serving the Lord around the world. And so when they get together, because they've been through such a challenging experience, well, it's amazing how they have just a connection and a communion and a communication they get each other. Patmos students, when they get together, they don't worry about what you think of them. Because they believe that God has taken a wretch like themselves and with his amazing grace has made them who they become only because of his grace. Vietnam vets, when they get together, or Marines, when they get together, hoorah. Now I say, and you guys, obviously you were not a Marine. You don't say hoorah. Hoorah. Okay, you're still not a Marine. And some of the Marines out there are going, I'm embarrassed that you're actually doing that because you're not a Marine. But if a Marine and a Marine get together, it doesn't matter how they say it. You know why? They're Marines. They could go, hoorah, and they would go, yes, you're a Marine. There's just a communion and a fellowship about it. But he also reminds them of something else. And this one moves from encouragement to a little bit of exhortation. You remember, it's verse 27. Why don't you turn there? Chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians chapter 1, once again, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. You see, he also reminds them that there is a conduct that's worthy of the gospel. We've moved from encouragement now to a little bit of exhortation. He's beginning to make his appeal so that he can solve this problem. And if you remember... This word conduct is the same word that we get our English word politics. It means, listen carefully, to conduct yourself as a good citizen of your country. Don't you wish some of our politicians would understand that? Don't clap. Politics. It means being a good citizen. And what Paul is trying to get across when he says, live a conduct that's worthy of the gospel, he wants them to live as citizens of heaven, though they are on earth. In fact, all of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3 is leading to one point. 
And you'll see it on the screen. It's Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. That's the conclusion of this entire section. You're a citizen of heaven, so I want you to act like it. And he takes chapter 2 and chapter 3 to communicate to them, you're a citizen. And the very first thing that he does is he uses our king of kings. He uses our Lord of lords, our standard bearer of faith, the model citizen of heaven, Jesus. And he says, you know Jesus. Jesus is comforting and consoling. He's affectionate. In the midst of your problems, he was selfless and sacrificial. He went to the cross to solve your biggest problem of sin. We learned last week that Jesus is humble. And he didn't feel robbed of his rights of heaven while he was living on earth. No, he was obedient to do whatever it was that God asked him to do. He was going to do it. He was going to be a servant and he was going to sacrificially obey. In the early part of chapter 2, as we studied last week, you can begin to hear Paul preparing his audience. And he's preparing them to be obedient to what he's going to ask them to do at all costs because he wants them And I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to follow the example of Christ, our standard bearer of faith, and live as good citizens of heaven, though we're here on earth. Now, Paul knows human nature. And he knows what he's about to ask them. He's going to ask them to forgive each other, to get along, to purpose, to reconcile. Well, every time I go to opposing parties and I try to help be a part of solving an issue, sometimes they'll say, well, I'm not God. Sometimes they'll say, well, do you expect me to act like Jesus? You know what Paul's answer is emphatically? Yes, I do expect you to act like Jesus. And so Paul's going to move away from giving Jesus as an example. And what he's going to do is he's going to give a shout out to two upstanding citizens of heaven. And he's going to use these two upstanding citizens of heaven to show us that it's possible, it is possible to you for you to follow the example of Jesus. It is possible for you to get along with each other if you choose to have the mind of Christ toward one another. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit wouldn't ask us to do something if it was impossible for us to do. So he says, listen, have the mind of Christ. Most especially, here's the mind of Christ, esteem others better than yourselves. Make a decision for someone else not for yourself. I need, to let, remind, I need to remind you of something, and maybe you know this as a truth for yourself. But I want you to think for a moment. How many decisions do you think you make in a day? Well, guess what? They've studied it. They actually know. And they estimate by research that one human being makes 35 thousand personal daily decisions. 35,000 decisions. Your brain is constantly making a decision to benefit yourself. 
35,000 of them a day. Now, I got some good news for you. 12% of your decisions are not about yourself. According to research, 12% of those 35,000 decisions is you not just thinking about yourself, but you comparing yourself to everybody else. So you're actually thinking about someone in comparison to you. 35,000 personal decisions. Think of what one decision to steam someone else better than yourself could mean in your life. And so what Paul's going to do is show us an example of a human being that purposes to have the mind of Christ. His name is Timothy. Timothy. Would you look with me at Philippians chapter 2? I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may may be encouraged when I know your state. Paul's in jail, and he he wants some form of encouragement. He's going to get it from this church. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus." But you know his proven character. Maybe you'll underline that in your Bible. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Timothy. Now, if you remember, we first met Timothy in Acts chapter 16. He was a citizen of Lystra and the Derby area. His mother, she was a believer, but his father was a Greek. But Timothy had gained such a reputation of faith that Paul decided back in Acts chapter 16, I'm going to take this young man with me and I'm going to pour my life into this young man because this mom, listen moms, This mom did an incredible job of investing faith into her child. You'll see it on the screen at 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, that the apostle Paul gives the testimony of Timothy and says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. My wife was a stay-at-home mom. She was a domestic engineer. She had a job, trust me. And she was a homeschooler. We homeschooled 11 children for nine years. Excuse me. We homeschooled 11 for five years, but in total, there was a, a, a homeschooled life of nine years. Okay? And let me tell you something. She went through everything. One time, They had a student council meeting, and they called me, the principal, into it. And my kids said, we're lodging a complaint against their teacher. And they said, you have got to talk to mom. And I go, what do you mean? They said, school never ends. We start at 8. We keep going until she's done. So we go until 6 or 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Dad, we need a break from school. And I said, probably because you don't listen for six of those hours that you are having to go to school that long. And we were a homeschool family. I made them dress in pants. They had to wear a button-down shirt to come down. They couldn't come in their pajamas. They said the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, we did school, okay? But when my wife and, and one of our foster kids, he, he, he used to get so angry all the time, um, he would break pencils. And we found hundreds of pencils all around. We didn't know where all these pencils were going, but then we found them behind the bed. 
bed. We found them behind the couch. And every time he couldn't figure out a math problem, he just broke the pencil as if it was the pencil's fault. But my wife, in dealing with all of the issues, uh, one time my daughter, she lifted up her computer and my uh, son got mad at my daughter. So my daughter got mad at my son. So she slammed the computer down and broke the screen. This is the things that my wife had to deal with. But you know what my wife did? She never went, don't do it. She said, the Bible says share with one another. With every problem, she chose to invest the word of God. She would say things like, now I know you don't want to give that, but the Bible says if you've got two, give one away. And with every problem, she would purpose to invest the word of God. So much so. That one time, one time, she got so frustrated at homeschool. She said, everybody, excuse me for just a second. Everyone, shut up. My kids were so shocked. That time in it, three years old, looked at Andrea, couldn't believe it, and said, we don't say that word in this house. <laughs> and she went, Timon? And Timon went, I'm just saying the kids were perfect for the rest of the day. Moms, do you realize the impact and influence of now those nine children all walking with the Lord because a mom invested faith into each and every one of them? Do you realize the power that you have to influence a next generation? But Timothy, let me tell you something. When Paul took Timothy on, he was completely different than the Apostle Paul. Paul was bold. I mean, we can read it. Paul was courageous. Paul, we learn in Galatians chapter, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, he's a withstand-to-your-face kind of guy. He had to stand Peter to his face. Paul didn't care, but Timothy? We read in Scripture that Timothy was a little shy. He was completely different than Paul. We read in Scripture that Timothy was a little timid and he was a little sickly. In fact, when Paul wrote his second letter, take a look at what Paul had to write. Timothy said, listen, Timothy, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. They were completely different. And Paul is using their relationship to express to them, listen, Different kinds of people can be united in the gospel. Let me talk about Calvary Chapel South Bay. One of our three services, I'm not going to tell you on Sunday morning, I looked over and there is a guy tatted up, sleeves and all, and his hands are raised like this, okay? He's got a shirt on that's like, thank God he's got a shirt on, and sitting right next to him is a woman that came out of Little House on the Prairie, and she is raising her hand right next to him. That's the church. Completely different people can be united because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is prepping them with the relationship. Look, ladies, I know you've got your differences. Or even, let's say, men, I know there could be some differences. But differences can be resolved in Jesus Christ. But I want you to see what Paul does. I asked you to underline it in Philippians chapter 2. There in Philippians chapter 2, he said in verse 22, but you know his proven character. In other words, over the course of time, 
with decision after decision of righteousness, Timothy had and was proven to have an established character. And that's our first point. I want you to understand the character of Timothy. Upstanding citizens are humble servants. See, the very first point that Paul expressed about Jesus was that he was a humble servant. He was humble. He didn't consider it robbery not to be equal with God. Just because he was living on earth, he didn't consider himself robbed. He was humble. He was a humble servant. You see, after being tried time and time and time again, Timothy had shown he's the real deal. Now, this will be a little PG-13. Stay with me for just a minute. Paul asked Timothy to follow him. Timothy is a teenager. He is a Gentile. His dad was a Gentile, a Greek. So Paul knew, because dad was a Greek, that Timothy wasn't circumcised. So Paul, wanting to minister to the Jews, circumcised him when he was a teenager. And Timothy did it. Now, just imagine if that was one of the qualifications for our mission trip. Now, I don't mean to be a little out of sorts, but I want you to understand this was a big deal for Timothy to join Paul. This wasn't like, hey, I'm signing up. Hey, where do I sign the dotted line? This was, hey, we're going to be doing some ministry to Jews, and most of the Jews are against me. So because of that, I need you to kind of convert for the sake of this, but don't worry, I know you're a Christian. Just imagine you going on a mission trip and they serve you dry monkey. And the hand lands right on your plate. It's happened to me before. Dried monkey. And you've got to make a decision right then and there. Am I going to eat this which they have sacrificed for me or am I going to turn my face up and I'm going to lose my ministry? You see, Paul knew that if he didn't do this, he would lose his ministry. And then... Timothy goes on his first mission trip after this experience. He goes on his first mission trip, and he goes into Philippi with Paul, and Paul is beat up and thrown in jail. If this is me, I'm out of here. Okay, this is not working. Like, if this is going to be my ministry where I get to watch you you get beat up on each and every turn, so much so, I want you to hear the proven character of Timothy. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You'll see it on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. But you, speaking to Timothy, you've carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. The next verse says, for all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He says, Timothy, you did this. This is your character. In fact, the last of the Beatitudes is, blessed are those who persecute and revile you. And you know why it's a blessing? Because you get to display all the other beatitudes that came before it in the midst of your persecution. You see, if I had a cup up here, and you didn't know it was a mug, you didn't know it was a clay mug, and you didn't know what was inside, and I began to tip that cup 
sooner or later, you would either see clear liquid come out because I'm tipping it and tipping it and tipping it. Or you'd see black liquid come out. But one or the other, as I begin to persecute this mug, you would see what's inside come out of it. You see, persecution allows the Beatitudes to be displayed in our life. That's why it's a blessing for people to see we're different. And what Paul is doing, he's using this proven character to point out to the church in Philippi, it is possible for you to be like Jesus. If Timothy can do it, you too can really be a humble servant just like Timothy, and you too can really esteem others better than yourself. Timothy did. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ, but, speaking the comparison as compared to everyone else, you know the proven character of Timothy. In other words, Timothy was following the way and the manner of Jesus. After he had been tried, he was going to be a humble servant. In fact, he pursued it. And humility and service should be all of our pursuits because it's not natural. Pride is natural. Pride flows out of us. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Uh, While Andre and I were away, we were in Montana, so we went to an Army-Navy store, kind of like a Cabela's in Montana. And it's amazing when you start talking about your fishing trip how all of a sudden, your fish that you caught that was this big (laughs) is now something that you couldn't even pull out of the river. You don't know how it happens. It just kind of flows out of you. And all of a sudden, it's like, thank God I've got my wife near me all the time to hold and to keep me accountable because every word that is spoken is going to be considered, right? So we want to be truthful in all that we say. But it's amazing how quickly pride can just come out of us. It's amazing how quickly we want to pamper ourselves. We all feel we deserve it. We had a hard day. What's a little chocolate ice cream? Right? Just leave me alone. It's been rough. It's amazing how entitled we feel that when we serve God, then he should show up and do something for us. He says, not Timothy. Timothy had the mind of Christ. He was in constant pursuit. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy, man of God, pursue righteousness. Because it doesn't come natural. It comes supernatural when we're born again of God's Spirit. So I want us to see a couple of things here about Timothy as a humble servant. First and foremost... Timothy had a proven character, and the proven character was that he was a servant. Look back at verse 22. But you know his proven character, and here's the definition, that as a son with his father, he served, maybe you'll circle that word in your Bible, he served with me in the gospel. I need to stop for just a minute and help you understand how they would understand this word. You see, In the first century context, servants didn't have rights. Servants didn't have privileges. They didn't have citizenship. They weren't entitled 
to anything. There was no expectation that if you served well, that like the next day, you would get a break. There was no expectation that you'd get a gift. There was no like expectation that you get some form of accolade like good job. No, it was just expected, do your work. Now, Jesus helps us understand this first century context. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Jesus is telling a story about a servant. In Luke chapter 17, the context is about forgiving people. And Jesus, uh, the disciples are making such a big deal about forgiveness, but Jesus is trying to communicate through this illustration of a modern-day understanding in regards to a servant and what a servant is just simply supposed to do. So take a look, if you would, at Luke 17. I'll read from verse 9. Luke chapter 17, verse 9. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Servants didn't get accolades. They didn't get gifts. They didn't get presents. Take a look at the next verse. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, say, we're unprofitable servants. We have done which is our duty to do. So go back with me to Philippians and let's understand this. He's a servant. A servant. Your only expectation is to wake up and serve again. And Paul gave a direction to Timothy. Paul said to Timothy, I want you to go to Philippi. And guess what? Timothy went to Philippi. In fact, wherever Paul sent Timothy, Timothy would go. Paul had replicated himself. There was no one as like-minded as as Timothy. He had poured his life into Timothy. And though Paul couldn't be two places at one time, he knew that he could send Timothy. And the beauty about Timothy, he was a humble servant willing to do whatever it was that God called him to do through the Apostle Paul. Secondly, I want you to see something about Timothy. Paul is sending Timothy to Philippi. He's willing to go because he's a humble servant. Now, I need you to understand the sacrifice that Paul is making. Paul's in jail. Paul needs Timothy because Timothy's the one taking care of him while he's in jail. Paul's hurting himself for the sake of someone else. He's esteeming them more than himself. You see, Paul, we learned in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, that he longed to see the church in Philippi but he's in jail. He can't go. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Paul doesn't know if he's going to live or if he's going to die, but he can send Timothy because he poured his life into him. Now, if this is me and I'm in jail and you're my food source and you're the way I'm getting my drinking water, Philippi, you're going to have to wait till I figure out what's going on with me because Timothy is staying right here. But Paul's a humble servant. And Paul wanted to be encouraged by this church. So he sends him because Timothy cares for the church in Philippi the same way that Paul did. This was not Timothy going, all right, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. When I ask my kids to do the dishes, it's amazing to me that all of a sudden they have to go to the bathroom. Do you have one of them? And they're there for an hour and a half. (laughs) They come back and the dishes are done by all the other kids. So one time, one of them decided, 
I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, they just think that parents have big dummy written on their forehead. So I had all the kids go away, and we waited for the hour. They came back, and there they were, just waiting all for them. And guess what? We didn't help. That child never had to go to the bathroom again. I don't think he went to the bathroom the rest of his life. Timothy didn't go with a bad attitude. Timothy loved the church of Philippi the way that Paul did. And when Paul asked him to go, he was willing to go. He was wanting to go because Paul asked him to go. I find in my ministry career in life that people will come up to me and they want to be discipled. And I find that everyone is willing and wanting to be discipled until you disagree with them or they disagree with you. They're willing, and then all of a sudden you're the enemy. All of a sudden, because you've confronted or challenged them in something, now you're the enemy. You show scripture. You show how God moved in this area. But because they disagree, they're like shocked. We have a statement that we say at Patmos. We say this, you've come here to change. Don't be surprised when we ask you to. Don't be surprised. Some people, that I'll say to them, wow, this needs to change your life. I can't believe. Or, hey, why don't you go and do this? You always ask me to do things. I mean, it's amazing to me. And Timothy is setting for an example for us. And he's showing the church in Philippi. He's showing the church at Calvary Chapel South Bay what it means simply to be a humble servant. That whatever it is that God is calling you to do, wherever it is that God is calling you to go, that you are willing to go anywhere or do anything because you're God's humble servants. But thirdly, what I want us to see is that Paul does something here so powerful. There in verse 22, he says, As a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. The correlation is absolutely clear. If you remember in the earlier part of Philippians chapter 2, Jesus was obedient to death. Obedient to who? Obedient to his father. He was obedient to death, even a death on a cross. Paul without shame, is making a correlation of his relationship with Timothy with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus was obedient to do the Father's will, even to the point of dying on a cross. Jesus trusted in his Father's love. Do you remember the relationship? Can you imagine the moment? Whenever my son, we were a soccer family, okay? And so my last son, Timon, The baby, he said, listen, we've been a soccer family our whole life. I'm playing basketball. I'm going to play. uh, uh, uh." And he he played basketball. He played lacrosse. He played football. He said, I'm doing everything but soccer because we've done only soccer. I'm doing every other sport. And I love that. You see, we have to understand, uh, my son, I love him to death. He's the baby. And I love, and every time that he would score a basket, guess what I did in the stands? Yeah! And every time in lacrosse, he would get that uh, puck or whatever they call it from the other, the little ball from the other team. Yeah! 
When my sons would score in soccer, do you know what I was doing? I was the crazy parent that was painted up going, yes, I love this. Imagine the moment when Jesus comes up from the water and he hears this from his father. This is my beloved, my son. Do you know, as a son, the God-man hearing this from his father? He was willing to do anything because he knew the father loved him. Even die on a cross because he trusted him to resurrect him from the grave. You see, what Paul is trying to get across... Even with the trial of a cross, Jesus was willing to obey. And Paul is using the example of Timothy. He's using the connection of this father-son thing to say, you too can be obedient, just like Jesus was to his father, no matter the trial or the person or the problem that's in front of you. I love what Paul is doing here. He puts obedience in the context of, of relationship. He loved Timothy as his own son. But there's another citizen, another incredible citizen who displays for us not the humble servant. Oh no, the other illustration that Jesus, that Paul gives about Jesus was his sacrificial obedience that he obeyed even to death, even to the death of a cross. And so what Paul does is he gives us another upstanding citizen. His name is Epaphroditus. And he's going to show to us, just like Timothy showed to us, you can be a humble servant just like Jesus. Epaphroditus, the upstanding citizen, he's going to show to us that you can be a sacrificially obedient. Go with me back to Philippians chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 25. Yet, Paul says, I considered. Now, I'm going to go back to that word in just a minute. I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Now, take note, that was his job. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick, almost unto death. Now, listen to him draw the illustration from Jesus. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death. Listen carefully. Not regarding his life. Listen to him pull in how he was like Jesus to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. I want to remind you of something. Let's remember, not what Chet said. Let's remember what Jesus said if you're going to follow after him. It'll be on the screen. Let it penetrate your heart. He said this. He said to them all, if anyone desires, Calvary Chapel, South Bay, if you want to come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Not the gold emblem we wear around our neck, the death symbol. 
and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. First century Christians, they took this seriously. Do you know what Paul said? Being shipwrecked, beaten, perils of robbers, perils at sea. Paul said something profound. It's found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You'll see it on the screen. He said this, I have been, past tense, I have been crucified with Christ. I've died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I will go wherever. I will do whatever God asks me to do. Do you remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus directed the disciples to get into the boat? Now, if I'm a disciple, I ain't getting into no boat. There has been one too many storms on that Sea of Galilee. I would smarten up somewhere along the line. That should tell you the IQ of our disciples. And Jesus directs them to get on the boat and doesn't get in the boat with them. And a storm comes. They thought they were going to die. That's how big the storm was. Why did Jesus do that? He directed them. You read for yourself, John chapter 6. Read all the gospel accounts about it. He tells them, get in the boat, go to the other side. Now, he gave them a promise. You're going to go to the other side. You will get to the other side. But he didn't tell them what was in between. And I want us to understand that for just a minute. Because sometimes I think we look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, and we lose the first century context where the apostle John said, excuse me, the apostle Paul said, I, I, I've got fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. I'm going to fill up in my body whatever it is that comes my way for standing for the gospel. And I fear that we have lost by the 21st century a little bit of that fervor for the sake of the gospel. Remember, Paul's in jail as he's writing this letter. And Paul chooses, though Christians are coming against him, Paul chooses to send this letter of encouragement because Paul has died to himself and he's allowing Christ to live through him. Church, the bottom line, finding true life, spiritual life as a Christian, is choosing to lose your life. That's the only place you're going to find true Christianity. In other words, if you don't like what he's asking you to do, even if you don't like what he's asking you to do, choose to do it. Now listen, church, if you're struggling with kindness, like he said, be kind. That's a rough one, right? If you're struggling with like being joyful, if you're struggling with like being loving or gentle, right? Wait till he asks you to go to the Middle East or worse yet, serve in our children's ministry, kid life. Are you willing to go wherever and to do whatever? You might go, oh, Pastor Chet, we know you've been all over the world. God would never ask me to do that. Why do you think he brought me here to be your pastor? 
Maybe he's been asking you to do it for a long time. Church, listen. Are you willing to be sacrificially obedient? That's an upstanding citizen of heaven. Now, take a look. I want you to see how upstanding Epaphroditus was. It's one little word there in verse 25. Yet I considered. Now, if you want to underline that word, go for it and do it. I want to explain what this word means. Paul says, I took the lead on making this decision. I had to. Because Epaphroditus was not going to. Epaphroditus, we read, he didn't regard his own life. Did you see the way that Paul introduces him back to the church? He says to him, he's a brother. And what that means is, they're probably about the same age. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. This sounds like the Apostle Paul. Paul's kind of comparing Epaphroditus to him. Bold, courageous, willing to go anywhere and do anything. But I want to remind you something. The Holy Spirit is using the Apostle Paul to write this letter. So the Holy Spirit is letting us know that the uh, Epaphroditus had the same character and the same conduct as the Apostle Paul. He was a man that was a go-get-em man. He was willing to give his life for the gospel. Epaphroditus was never going to make the decision to leave the Apostle Paul. In fact, he would die for the purpose of which God sent him. And he was sent to minister to Paul. And no matter what, Epaphroditus had the character. Epaphroditus had the courage. Epaphroditus was going to minister until he died. It was just the kind of person that he was. Nothing was going to deter him from fulfilling his job. He was going to be obedient even unto death, if necessary. But Paul uses an interesting word. And when he was describing his brother Epaphroditus, if you look at verse 26, he says this, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Now it's interesting that Paul would use that word because it's the same word that Matthew used in describing Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was deeply distressed. you got to see the correlation. Epaphroditus almost died. He didn't regard his life for his own. The correlation is completely clear. Epaphroditus is following in the manner of Jesus. Though he was distressed and longed to be with the church in Philippi, he was going to do his calling and his job. So Paul realized, I've got to step in and take the lead of this decision, and I'm going to direct Epaphroditus to go back to Philippi. He knew Epaphroditus' heart. Paul made the decision because he couldn't bear the pain. Epaphroditus was still sick and he was still serving. But he looked at him and maybe he lost weight or maybe he looked pale or maybe he lost blood. We don't know what kind of sickness it was, but it was almost unto death. Paul looks at him with wisdom and says, bro, we got to send you back. Because if you die here, this will add sorrow to my sorrow. And you've got to imagine there's Paul praying. And I need you to see something. There's no indication that Epaphroditus is in sin. This sickness doesn't seem at all to be caused because Epaphroditus was in sin. This sickness 
is a result of sin in the world. And Paul is looking at this, and I want you to see, he almost died. Like this was a storm. The church said, go serve Paul. Epaphroditus is like, yes, I'm going to go. Epaphroditus never thought to himself, I'm going to get sick and almost die. But he was there in the midst of his sickness, and he was still willing to serve. But Paul had a heart for the church. And he knew that if Epaphroditus died, that Paul would, that the church would be grieving. And so Paul, having a heart for this church, he wants us to minister to them in the same way that they administered to him. So he doesn't want to lose Epaphroditus. He makes a wise decision and he sends him back. And this was a sacrificial decision. Because Epaphroditus, he's also ministering to Paul. And what he chooses to do, he says, listen, I need you to fully understand why I'm sending him home. And when he comes back home, I want you to celebrate him coming back home. So I'm going to be completely clear, I'm going to be concise, and I'm going to communicate to you because I want there to be no room for misunderstanding about Epaphroditus returning early. I'm the one that took the lead in this. He was willing to give his life. I stepped in with wisdom and said, you better go home. Because when Epaphroditus got back early, the church would be like, what are you doing here? Did you get scared? Oh, you got a little sick, so you came home? Paul didn't want any of that for Epaphroditus. He wanted no misunderstanding because let me tell you something about misunderstanding. Misunderstandings cause problems. We had pulled up to a rebel checkpoint. I told the missionary, could you stay in the car? He looked at me and he said, I'm filled with the Spirit of God and I'm going to go talk to these rebel soldiers. He got out of the car before I can stop them. He walked up to the soldier and he said, I'm a missionary. The soldier, not understanding his American dialect or English, said, you're a mercenary? And he said, not understanding that he said mercenary, said, yes, I am a missionary. Do you know what happened? All four of us missionaries got beat on the head with, with um, bamboo sticks. We got laid out in the crucifixion position in the hot sun and were put in jail for four hours until I could speak dialect and let them know it was a complete misunderstanding. Paul knows that misunderstandings cause problems. And so what Paul does is he teaches the church through Epaphroditus going home with his clear and concise communication. I'm sending him home. I made the decision. He says to him, he's a, fellow, he's a brother. He's a fellow soldier. He is a fellow co-laborer. He almost gave his life. He's making sure there is no misunderstanding about his going home. He came to do his job, and he was willing to be sacrificially obedient, but I stepped in, and I'm sending him home. He is like Jesus. Follow his example. And I'm sending you home so you can hear his story because many of you might say in Philippi, we can't be sacrificially obedient. I can't forgive. It hurts too bad. Just ask Epaphroditus. He was willing to give his life. You see, there's three things you'll see on the screen in this clear communication that he uses, Epaphroditus, and maybe for some of us. If you're in the middle of a misunderstanding... 
Be clear and concise with your communication. Don't beat around the bush. Just say what it is. And even if you've wronged, just call it out. It's better to get through it and get over it than to live in it. Through Epaphroditus, look what else he communicates. Go to bat for each other. He's a fellow laborer. He's a fellow soldier. Go to bat for each other instead of taking the bat and beating each other with it. We do that well as Christians. We really do that well as Christians. Instead of going to bat for each other, we pick up the bat and we start hitting each other when someone makes a mistake. Thirdly, there's a misunderstanding. Be sacrificially obedient to do what God would have you do. And it may hurt. It almost cost Epaphroditus his life. Well, God's so loving, he would never do that. Read John 6. He sent them to a storm. God will do whatever it takes, friends. Whatever it takes to conform you into the image of Jesus. Don't misunderstand that. He's been very clear in his word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come before you tonight. And our prayer as believers is to see the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, the upstanding citizens, and to follow in their footsteps. Help us to be humble servants. Help us to be sacrificially obedient. I love this between you and the Lord and myself as your pastor, if I could, and if you could just be in a manner of prayer. If you're in a misunderstanding with someone and you need prayer, you struggle being an upstanding citizen. It's just, it's just hurt. And you're looking at the life of Timothy and you're looking at the life of Epaphroditus, willing to do whatever it is that God asks you, willing to sacrifice even if it hurts. And you really desire to go that route. Would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you just pray for me? Yeah, I see your hands. Yeah. I see your hands. I see them. So, Father, with every hand that's raised, my prayer, would you fill them with the power of your Spirit to fill us with the power of your Spirit? Lord, our hands are raised in surrender. Would you empower us to be humble servants? You wouldn't ask us to be something that you wouldn't give us the strength to do it. Would you empower us, Lord, by your spirit to be sacrificially obedient? Because Epaphroditus and Timothy, they followed your example. And we really truly do want to be lights in this world. Would you give us this grace upon grace? In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. 
If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.